Let's go. In episode two, we transition to we are now on the run. We're riding all day into the night and we arrive at Taran Ferry. So Taran Ferry is obviously a place with a ferry. There is a big river that we need to cross. I just love this little scene because it again reinforces this idea of how normal everyday people perceive the Aes Sedai. Moraine basically rolls up and is like, we need to cross the fucking river. And she flashes the ring again. And the guy says, well, you know, obviously you're not someone who is used to saying no or someone saying no to you. And she's like, yeah, you're fucking right. So homeboy Master Hightower is his name gets the ferry ready to go. Our whole squad hops on with their horses right almost in the nick of time, essentially, because then we see as we're crossing the river, the whole Trolloc army is right on their heels. They get to the point and stop. And uh, our man, Master Hightower, is in for quite the night. He did not know what he was getting into when he woke up to our squad rolling up on him. But dude, just tell me what you guys thought of the first... This is the first time we actually get the Fade or the Half Man or the Eyeless, all all synonyms. I think the show's going to lean into the Eyeless idea, so sticking with the Eyeless. When the Eyeless, it's kind of it kind of feels like Hard Home from Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly like that, right? Like the Eyeless knows right now you guys are out of reach, but I'm coming for you, motherfuckers, and mm. just does the whole fucking screech, which gave me chills when it happened, but. Just tell me that was your first experience of seeing what, what we're working with. This is like the peg up from the Trolloc foot soldiers. This are, these are like the intermediate generals of the Dark Army. And this is your first experience. What do you guys think? I think the fact that you could tell that they have some some form of intelligence makes them way scarier. Yeah. And already on paper, if you're just looking at it and how mysterious it is with the cloak and versus how it is standing next to the Trollocs, the mystery behind it just makes it that much more scary. And I absolutely love the design. I think it's perfect. I think it's absolutely terrifying. And anyone in their right mind would want to fuck off themselves you the like moment they run the, in front of one of these you things. You like that skull on the horse, too? Oh, my God. The horse was the best part of it. <laughs> it looks so badass. So, yeah, it makes me think, is the horse like a regular horse with a mask on? Maybe or maybe the like horse a, is the dark a dead one. horse? No, no, it's the dark one. Uh, the horse is the dark yeah, one. Yeah. That is very Sweet. interesting. You say that. We will be talking about that comment. Are you serious? I swear to God, for years to come. <laughs> oh my God. So amazing. Put, it Put it on the board. Put it on the board. We need a literal board in one. this room. Two things. One, the eyelashes or the fades, whatever you want to call it, mouth. Lo, it was like a sea monster's mouth. It Wasn't was it like the dune. Actually, mouth? I was just yeah. gonna. So like I rose worm. my hand for it. I never thought say, about yeah. that till right now, too. Yeah. I, I didn't it even was have literally that the dune worm. Yep. Second off, I was a little annoyed that our heroes, Marine Land and High Master, whatever dickwad, <laughs> was on the barge and like a little bit. We also learned, you know, Trollocs are their one fear is deep water, so that's why they're not jumping in after them. But they're on the barge, like halfway across the river. Cut the rope, dude. See, my think thinking behind that though is that I think it's more of they a momentum base. Like you're using it to pull yourself across, sure. But once you get going, you're gonna go. It's more about the way you use it to come back. Like you need it to kind of like direct the ship. But once the ship's moving, it's moving. Like I don't think it's necess- I don't know though. I don't know how it works. You, you're upset that they didn't do it halfway they or they didn't do it at the, all? That the Trollocs didn't cut it right when they were crossing. Oh, the Trollocs. Yes. Oh, well, they're too dumb for that. So that was That's my... That's what I figured. That's yeah, what I also it. figured. That was, that was that. my assumption of why. Oh, yeah. Is because they're straight up animals. Dude, they, they're way too dumb. Like, for you know, and attack on the 
the, the two rivers town like they were just straight up eating dead bodies when people were running by them because they're they're straight up animals like if they're that's stupid a, like if that's a million peaches and you get on that boat your cat and they're you get on that boat and you're crossing you think peaches are gonna be like come back cut the rope <laughs> well <laughs> i don't know <laughs> exactly i will say though i don't know how much they're going to lean into it into the show but there is culture to the trollocs there's different clans they have a little bit of a culture but they don't i don't think have enough intelligence well, to kind of make that type of maneuver okay. that's why when you told me that they speak in the books it happens one time i will one. say okay yeah it was What's definitely his name Narg. Narg. It was definitely like a first bookism. The only time it ever happened. It was a first bookism of like, oh, okay. they yeah. did it, and then he was kind of like, eh, maybe not. That blows my mind. I that that okay, is so not that, something so I, I that makes me happy because when you said they speak, I was like, maybe they're smarter than I think. No, but yeah. I'm gonna lean into their dumb animals. No, they That's are. That's why Narg is ar- iconic. Yes. Okay. The Trollocs are essentially just ruled by fear and instinct. So the only reason why they are just like would march throughout the night and all the shit is because the fade they're afraid of the fade or the eyeless and i just dave i want to roll back a little bit to the comment that you made where like if you looked at this thing you would off yourself there is a, a common phrase that's used in the books is that the look of an eyeless is fear borderline paralyzing when you come face to face with these slender things. man thing it's but with a mouth <laughs> yeah honestly slender man's terrifying so yes so to finish this scene uh moraine actually when they get to the other side she has paul's idea where she wants to destroy the ferry the barge so she creates a whirlpool and master hightower dumbass in his i guess honorable line of thinking to save his son just jumps into the water and i would go as far as to say kills himself oh yeah yeah (laughs) moraine would agree with that statement and he she didn't kill him i mean he literally willingly jumped in this world but i will also say this this shows you a little bit that the power it's so overwhelming it could sometimes be sloppy Mm. right like it's not like super controlled she can't be like all right whirlpool done you know it's not like marvel like it's 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 a little bit more naturistic it's a beast that that not everybody truly understands and yeah sometimes it's overwhelming follow-up question the way the trollocs catch up to them eventually they obviously don't touch on it do we just assume they went around? Yeah, they built a bridge. They went the like, long way, baby. They went up and around. Because I thought the whole thing was like, yeah, once we get to the river and cross, we'll be safe. But you, you know? see um, uh, the Brad Pitt zombie movie, World War Z? Yeah. When they it's basically just, <laughs> they just throw a, a bunch of bodies into the water. Eventually <laughs> yeah. enough will get across. Maybe I don't. It's more of a function that that's like a wide part of the river. Okay. And they just travel up river to cross. Yeah. yeah okay. I, yeah. I can I can do so it wasn't like a big river. Oh, well, that was the thing. I didn't know it was like the river because they say like once we get there, we'll be We're safe. Like I didn't know if it was like notoriously yeah. like big. Or we lose Master Hightower very quickly is that Hightower does say the white cloaks are right about you guys to yeah. Moraine. So again, we're just really hammering home this idea that the common folk don't really fuck with the eyes to die. And I think that was the whole purpose of that yes. scene. Oh, yeah. No, no matter how stupid it was that he just randomly jumped mm-hmm. in, it was just to emphasize the fact that oh, yeah. like people can view them terribly. And our squad of four, our, our Edmondsfield and four at this point, yeah, witnessing. are kind of like, oh, shit. You know, she is willing to do whatever it takes to get this mission done. All right. So then we, we start showing some cool, in my opinion, one of the cooler uses of the power is you get a quick glimpse of Moraine actually taking away the fatigue of some of the horses like she has that ability and that's cool to know but this is where we start having um i think you should actually elaborate like just a little bit more on that just because 
my first and second watch through, even third watch through, I didn't really catch. It's that. super subtle. It's way more explicit. Exactly. In the book, and and it's actually important because yeah. they're always traveling and Moraine's always taking away the the Emmons feels for fatigue. Like, but we already know from future episode, maybe la- even later in this episode, I said, I can't use the power on themselves. So they can't heal themselves. They can't take their own fatigue away. So you just said get a quick glimpse. It's like a book shout out a little bit when she's yeah, taking the when she's waking the horse up a little bit more. I didn't catch it. Yeah, the yeah. wisp was smoke. I want to keep calling it that, even though it's not actual smoke. But like you see it on, on the horse's face, and then all of a sudden, from it being crouched, it just jumps up and it's ready to go. There's something that happens in the book with this scene that's very similar that we won't be able to talk about until the end of this season but we will reference this scene again and it'll be fun to talk about it then and kind of see everyone's reaction to that. You see a little of the kids gossiping. They start talking about the dragon and like this whole idea of the prophecy. Rand says specifically, they say that the last dragon broke the world, but the next one will save it. Mm-hmm. And you agree, right, Dave? Yeah, I don't, there's <laughs> no way that's changing. But it's just important to know that they know the rumors, they know the prophecy now, mm-hmm. and like they're aware of yes. what the DR is. And then I think the next important thing that happens really is the Moraine later that night, the Moraine and the Egwene conversation. And to me, God, this was fucking, this was amazing to me because they they start dropping some names that you don't have to worry about now. Arthur Hawkwing, like this is just some good deep history named people, but they say Arthur Hawkwing's three laws that bound all Aes Sedai. The three oaths. The three oaths. And actually I only have the, the wording of, two of them so if you actually have all three because what moraine is asking Egwene, who, who has heard of the three odes and they are com- word for okay word so right let's here. hear him let's hear him one to speak no word that is not true two to make no weapon with which one man may kill another three never to use one power as a weapon except against dark friends or shadow spawn or in the last extreme defense of her life, the life of her warder, or another Aes Sedai. Yeah. Essentially breaking it down, saying that you can only defend yourself, your warder, and another Aes Sedai. That's it. That's the only time you can use it. And so the only thing, before I let you guys jump in here, these laws are so... They cannot be broken. Meaning, like, Marine and any of the Aes Sedai sisters, it's not that they won't tell a lie because it's like their, quote-unquote, like, religion or belief or anything like that. They physically cannot speak a word that is not true so just know that these limitations are in their blood it's in their dna now and it's funny how you're calling them limitations because now that you say that word and i'm looking at all of my notes and everything i'm kind of more now on the page that Egwene is not going to be the dragon reborn like i think the dragon reborn wouldn't have these limitations per se Mm -hmm. like i don't think the dragon reborn is not going to have like be able to use their power only to save themselves the warder or an ice die. So if she chose, if Egwene chooses to go this route, there's no way she's the dragon reborn. That's my, that's my thought process. We mentioned the women's circle scene with Egwene and Paul and Luke, you had both said that, that scene kind of didn't really serve so much of a purpose or that it was kind of whatever. It didn't really need to be there or at the very least it was kind of a question. This is where it comes back into play because Maureen teaches, or I'm sorry, Moraine teaches Egwene how to touch the power using the analogy of surrendering yourself to the river. Oh, that's mm. cool. So she learns that okay. essentially she is ah, way more, she's it's okay. it's way easier for her to get it quick because she had that experience. I thought that's that great. that was like a whole ice die. The water was an analogy that everybody uses. So it is that there's a way that they talk about it, how opening yourself up to the power for women. They, a lot of women use similar tricks like that. 
but that was the purpose of that's the, gotcha. the callback. That's like for the easiest way for her to understand. Yeah. Personally, she like it clicks for her a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. That makes a lot more sense. And I'm very glad that you said that. My other question, you guys said that like an Aes Sedai can't lie. They like physically can't lie. So they cannot speak a word that is not true. Okay. So the third oath saying they can never use one power to kill unless against what was it against the dark fiend you have to use it against dark fiend or shadow no, spawn. no no dark okay. friend except against dark friends or shadow spawn or in the last extreme defense of her life and the okay. life of her friends and let's wait let's quickly clarify on that verbiage shadow spawn spawn are non-human part of the army like of the dark one side so that's trollocs and, and fades that was my big and question. dark friends are humans that are on the dark one side because that was my big question was like marine's killing a lot right now and it's definitely not just to save her or a warder or you know another eyes to die so the, the fact that they are able to kill dark friends she everything that she has killed using the power on purpose up until this point has been a trollic so the master like, high tower death was not, not directly yeah, because she of says her. Yeah. Sorry, I gotta I do agree. it. We gotta make the air anime comparison. Kadupka from Hunter X Hunter can <laughs> only it. use his power against yes. the Phantom Troop, and here we are. Yes, it's exactly like that. Exactly. Yep. And there are loopholes, of course. Not loopholes, but there are workarounds, workarounds as always. Yes. Like you can tell from the lying rule. Mm-hmm. We also got the sweet. You know, you say you listen to the wind. No, 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 no. The wind listens to you. Yep. Because channeling using the one power is essentially capturing the power of nature almost. Mm. So a very quick little thing that we do see in this scene is that Rand does see this interaction happen. So that is slightly important Mm. for some things that happened a little bit later in this episode. But Rand kind of sees Moraine in his eyes, you know, sinking her fingers a little bit into his girl, Egwene. Kind of how Tam views it. Yes, exactly. She is pulling the strings, essentially. And also, we do learn in this little collection of scenes that Perrin is wounded. Perrin has been hurt from the Trolloc attack. He has some claw marks on his leg. He obviously is not telling anyone. Pissing me off. (laughs) Always verbally pissed off throughout the whole back I just don't understand why. Like, we already saw Moraine can use her powers to heal the trollic poison and heal wounds. She can heal other people besides not herself. But like, is he not saying it? Cause he doesn't want to talk about how it's a wound about when he actually killed Layla. Like, I just, I just don't get it. And, and I have hope that they're going to explain it. And if they don't, I'm going to be pissed. It's funny that your tone makes me think that you're not too happy with the storyline. Meanwhile, in my notes, I said, this is the most interesting storyline so far is, is his connection contract. with the wolves. This is an amazing scene and a very important scene we get next is actually a dream scene. Rand falls asleep and I just love how in the beginning of it, he wakes up and you just think he's waking up in the middle of the night. But I think the key thing here is that it's silent. There's no noise. You're not hearing nature. Or the leaves aren't ruffling. Hmm. So you kind of can feel something's a little wrong. And then our boy just proceeds to cough up a bat. Dead bat. Which I'm just a little curious of what you guys were thinking when he coughed up the I, fucking bat. I was thinking, this isn't what Ozzy Osbourne would do. Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> would eat the head off that bat and fucking swallow. No. They, they honestly, literally reverse the footage. Yeah, reverse, reverse <laughs> the footage Ozzy. and it's just Ozzy at his concert now. But honestly, creepy ass scene. 
Paul called it out in his first watch. So he was like, this has got to be a dream, but it wasn't really a dream, but creepy as fuck. Like you see him pull that wing out first and then it's the body. It's like this nasty. And it's like, yeah, why bats? Like, why? Yeah, bats why bats is my, too? Is my big question. And like they did say earlier, they said, oh, I heard rumors like the Dragon Reborn, like will actually have wings and shit like that. And I was like, you know, bats have wings. Bats have, bats <laughs> I was like, wings. is there a connection? It's like they coughed up like a wolf skull. Maybe that would have made some <laughs> sense. But a bat that's like coming out of left field at this point. You are grinding out connections in your head right now. It's Bro, so funny. Paul, I got away more. Paul's yeah. great at that. Yeah, but, Paul is really good at this. So a very important part of this scene also is that when Rand actually wakes up, the bat. Is there are bats crazy. everywhere. Yes. And it's not just one. Yeah. There's it's a bunch of crazy and <laughs> everyone else has had the dream as well. Rather, everyone from Evans Field has had the dream. And this is a little anecdote when we were watching it, because I had my roommates trying to guess who the dragon was the whole time. Right. So when this first dream starts happening, they're all like, oh, it's Rand. He's having the dream. And you see the dark one Paul for a said second it too, right? or Alki. One of them said it to yeah, like, yeah, when, yeah. when he's watching. Like, I said the same yeah. shit because you for a second, you see the dark one. Like you see his eyes, right? Like you see eyes fire, like, like Emba. Eyes. And then, so as soon as Rand wakes up and he walks over and he and, he, and he's talking to Moraine and tells us what we said, you, see you find bats. out all of the others are having this. So right away, like all my roommates were like, "Oh my God, it's Rand! He's the dragon!" And then he, they're like, "He has the, he had the dream. He had the dream." And then everyone else says, "They're like, okay, out the window, back to parent, <laughs> yeah, back to everyone being on the table." <laughs> it's very interesting though because you know we see Rand's dream and then we hear Matt talk about his dream and his dream. All the bats, there's multiple bats, and their necks snapped in midair. He didn't pull it out from his throat. So it's like, okay, we got those two. I'm wondering what the other two dreams were. And, you know, if each dream, each dream means something else, like they're on a different path or something. Um, I will say at the end of episode one, we have Moraine saying she's telling the story about the Aes Sedai with the eye so white that was born. And then she also goes on to say that. The dark ones whispers are like already within us. And I was like, yo, is this is this one of the dark ones whispers? Is this how he's like getting connecting? That is a wonderful catch that you caught that line. That line will be something else that we'll be talking about in a couple of years as well. (laughs) Why are you good at this? Do they have the dream conversation? Marine is very she's very vocal about the idea that dreams have powers. Right. So she's Mm -hmm. like concerned. She's like, what did you see? What happened in all your guys dreams? And then she says before she walks away, if this shit happens again, you tell me right away. And then that sparks Rand freaking out. Right. He blows up for a second. And I'll get back to that in one second. But then she storms off. She's about to storm off. And Rand's like, all right, well, I'm going to leave then. And Moraine says, well, you know what? I don't have time for you. Go ahead and leave. She leaves. And then that's when Rand and Egwene have the next confrontation that they haven't had in a minute where Egwene Rand's going to pull the wisdom card about how. Egwene already ga- already gave up on the idea of their relationship being something, and like they have that whole back and forth. Egwene says you're basically being a dick. Moraine has saved our lives multiple times. There's no fucking way she's as bad as the Trollocs that are trying to kill us. And yeah. Rand's also like she's playing favorites. Like you and her clearly yes. have a connection. So that's what I, I'll take it back and I'll pass it over to you, Paul. I am super passionate about this scene, and I actually really, really love it in hindsight. But just tell me. Are you team Egwene? Are you team Rand? Do you think Rand has a point or do you think Rand's being irrational? Just tell me what you think about that blow up because I that scene well, is powerful for me. You vocalized a little bit of your thoughts about this scene because we have the four of them just like literally verbalizing their thoughts and you can go to each of them and be like, yo, 
they have a point. Rand has a point. He's like, yo, you're a random person. You just pulled us away from our village. You didn't tell us anything. You barely tell us where you're going. We're just supposed to trust you. At the same time, Egwene is like, bro, you saw the Trolloc. You want to go back to them? You, they were eating your fucking friend from the inside out. And then, you know, they go to Matt and Matt is saying, if I had to choose, I would choose following the woman that shoots fireballs because I don't want so, a lady does shoot fireballs or yeah. something like that. So like they all make good piss points. Her off. It, it makes good points. And like they're kind of thinking like the same thing we're thinking. Yo, fuck's going on? Who is this person? So just initial take, which team Rand or Team McQueen on that conversation? I can't be both. I mean, I was I was <laughs> literally dead 50-50. The only reason I side with Egwene is literally because I'm going to follow the person who has the plant, not even can just shoot fireballs, but at least has a plan for us. We leave her, okay, what's our plan? You have mm-hmm. literally jack shit. You have to go to a random town, cut some fucking wood, yeah. sleep in a bunk. Like That's not happening. Like You're going to follow the one that has a plan to me. He has a sword that he pretty much doesn't know how to use, and that's yeah. it. Epic yeah. sword, though. It's a great sword. It's a great sword. That was good as Dave's sword right there. Mm, I got two good swords right here. (laughs) Is one of them your penis? I was going to (laughs) say. Two and a half. So after our little dust up with Egwene and Rand, we get back on the road. So as we're on the road, we run into a new faction. Luke's favorite. Mm Mm-hmm. Not his favorite faction, but the fact that we get a new faction. Thank you for clarifying. Because nobody <laughs> might be my favorite faction. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Nobody. No, Dave has actually Dave actually said that. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, Dave fucks with <laughs> the White Cloaks. So actually, this is not the first time we've seen the White Cloaks in this episode. The cold open of episode two that we glossed over just so things were a little bit more consistent in us talking about um, the Edmondsfield Four and Moraine and Lan is we meet. We don't get his name at the moment, but his name is Eamon Valda. So Valda, which is, this is a crazy start to an episode because we've just seen Moraine basically protect the entire village and put her life on the line. And now we transition to a white cloak man who is burning an Aes Sedai at the stake. Complete parallel to actually the first opening we got in episode one. Parallel where we see the Aes Sedai chasing the man and almost essentially burning him or killing him rather. And the Aes Sedai aren't all powerful as we thought they were in that cold opening of episode one. Yeah, that actually, I didn't think about it until you mentioned that she's being burned at the stake. What do these white cloaks do? How are they so strong that they can capture an Aes Sedai? That's what I'm excited for too, because we don't get it in these three episodes. No. The power of Eamon Valda. We don't know what he's capable of. Like, yeah. I just have him as the captain. Does he yeah. have just like... So- I think a little insight into that question is in this interaction we get when we meet back up with him in the forest. We know with the three O's that Moraine can't use the one power willy nilly. Mm. So, uh, yeah, she sorry. can't just lash out with the power against the white cloaks. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, it's one of the. Uh, OK, yeah, she, they are restrained in that sense that they can't just see a white cloak and fuck them up like they need to feel the threat against their life to do. So something. they basically the white cloaks would have one. Let's go. This is all for the for yeah. all the marbles moment. Like, let's mm-hmm. capture them. Yeah, they're weak. There's so. also a common like phrase that's used. In the books, an arrow can just kill an Aes Sedai from behind. You and just it shoot. Kind of does. Not I the trolley that I mean, hits her. Yeah, that like that, her. that was a cool moment, at least for me, because it showed it's they're not indestructible yeah. gods. 
right? Shit can happen. Yeah, you can knock them out. You can knock them unconscious. You can drug them. There's a lot of different ways. And he, then he proceeds to cut off her hands. Yes. Which is a big thing because we know how much Moraine uses her hands when she uses the power. Yes. So all of that is kind of combining to be that this guy does not fuck around. This was the confirmation for me that the person who's trying to take down an Aes Sedai cut off their hands, a.k.a. They need their hands to use their power. Yeah. So this was the confirmation of that. Now, is it because they need their hands or is it because it's the ring that's the power or is it the hand motions like the, the magicians? Like, what is I'm it? I'm going to bring out Why? a quote from Hunter x Hunter Netero when he's fighting the king ant says he's using two hands to pray the entire fight. The king cuts his arm, thinks he has him in checkmate. And he's like, you don't need two hands. You can pray with one hand. Hey. It's like the same thing. It's like you could still use magic with one yeah. hand. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's the ring because they have shown scenes where they use the opposite ring hand to use to channel magic. Yeah. So, And I will say that I think it's too early in the series to be using words like confirmation <laughs> on something like this. Okay. Or that's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Because to go to Doctor Strange and Marvel, you know, they have their hands and they use it to cast magic and it's easier. But at the same time, there's somebody with an amputee who is able to use magic. It might be a little bit harder, but he can still do it. So mm -hmm. you're right. I shouldn't say confirmation. So this little weasel, Valda, hops off his horse and he is called a questioner. So he is somebody who is in the White Cloak army. White Cloak is a colloquial term for the army that is known as the Children of the Light. So they are a group of zealots that they find all dark friends and kill them to like an insane degree. So Valda's role as a questioner is to just essentially torture people to confirm and get confessions that they're dark friends. All Children of the Light slash White Cloaks, because it's the same thing, believe that Aes Sedai are dark friends. So they immediately okay. believe that they're all witches of the dark can't be trusted gotta kill all of them i just think something like that is just so ridiculous back in the day it's like no matter you could just torture the shit out of someone they could be telling the truth and you're just going to keep torturing that them. is a That's, huge yeah. plot point in the books constantly they're just I mean, even they like say if, you, Thrones, if you're going like, to torture them long enough they're going to say whatever you want them to say you know, and that's why the questioners are so. That's what I'm thinking. Important. If that's me getting tortured over and over, and I'm being truthful as shit, at some point it's like, okay, kill me. Yes, you're right. Yes. You know? Yep. That's kind of the role that, that they sucks. play. That's so unfair. It but sucks. they they do do a good job of this scene of comparing Valda himself and the way he's kind of a little crazy to the man who's actually the leader of this little squad. His name is Geoffrey Bornhold, so we can just call him Bornhold at the moment. He can tell he can like look in someone's eyes and tell if they're telling the truth or not. No, that is a wild assumption. <laughs> no, no. He says to Moraine, oh, you should go to that oh, city. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yes. 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 He says you should go to the city and get that looked at by an eye to die. That line is a little wild. Because I don't think any white cloak would recommend. That's true. Too. Going it's to an eye to die was a little bit of a weird uh, line, but I don't know. Help me out one more time. What is the questioner's name? Amen. Let's just go with Valda. I would just Valda. say Valda. His Valda. first name is spelled E-A-M-O-N, which is kind of like, is it Eamon? Is it Eamon? Eamon. I think you could people Valda. will run with it a little bit, so I would just say Valda. Okay. Just want to say Valda, incredible character so far. Yep. I don't like yep. him, but I love his character. He looks so evil and complex. His actor, the way he portrays him, great so far, even though he's only been on the screen for like seven minutes. 
going back to the opening scene, you know, when he shows, he grabs the ring off of the one eye side, bringing the stakes, severed hand, adds to the collection. And Luke over here, he was like, yeah, I counted it. It's seven rings. That ends up being, you know, very important going forward. To add on to this character, we know in this show already that colors kind of have meaning. So like in within the Aes Sedai, the ones that chase down the men that channel, they have their own color. They're red. Moraine, she's rock and blue. In the one the, that was burned at the stake. Yeah, which Shao Alki noticed. She was rock and yellow, right? I believe yellow. she was rock and yellow. So colors mean things. And within the white cloaks, it seemed that the the guy I'm sorry, help me out with his name. The one who recommended to go see Bornhold. Yeah, Borny. How did I forget Borny? So <laughs> I'm okay with Borny. Borny's great. Borny yeah. is rocking a gold shoulder gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And the questioner and all of his followers are rocking silver. And to go back to the opening scene, they focus in on Vol. Falda. Falda. It's basically Dave Talda. Okay. But a, a v. v. There's no way I can Dave figure actually, it out. Yeah. Dave commented on that when I told him. I've spelling. never seen a name like that close yeah. to Talda. And I was like, that's that's my name. So Valda's goblet was like pure silver. They focused in on it. So like it's I don't know what it means. I just it's a little d- division within the White Cloaks itself with different faction. It's really cool. And I fucking love it. The, the main takeaways from this scene are we get the re-emphasis about Moraine not lying, but telling a truth that you don't expect to hear. And then we also, in my opinion, is super important to know is that Valda himself says to Bornhold as they're walking away that we questioners answer to a higher power than you guys. So just know that there are some there there's some tension going on within the White Cloaks themselves. And then again, Moraine proved here in the next scene with with Egwene when they're talking that the truth you think you hear isn't always what you think. Like that, that's the workaround of how they don't always lie. They can never lie, but they don't always tell the truth. Yeah. And that's another reason why people don't trust the eyes to die is because everyone for the most part knows about the three O's and they know they can't lie, but they know that they're kind of slimy in that way that they dance around lying. Yeah. Yes. But I will say Eamon Valda does sneak into my top three most interesting characters. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. He has that slimy confidence when he's kind of interrogating Moraine and it's pissing Lan off a lot. He's like, oh, like, where are you from? And he's like, my favorite possible quote besides eyes like Ember, Embers, (laughs) that is is literally when when where are you going? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll we'll bring that up again when we get there. But it's when uh, Moraine's like he said he mentioned that he won't forget our faces today, but He's not the only one that's going to forget a face today. And like, gang, that, gang. That, was so that is tough. so fucking badass. That was tough. But I think it's Lan for me. Lan, uh, Valda, and Tom Marilyn are my okay. three. Like These are interesting. Must, these are my interesting. Okay. Not favorites, but that, they're my like, I'm, say. I'm keeping close tabs on these three. <laughs> that would be a wild top three. Rosamund Pike is an amazing actress. We already know this from Gone Girl. But I mean, her differentiation in facial expressions between being Moraine, who is literally frowning half the time, it feels like, or just straight face to, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm a lady from the fallen house, which question in itself, what is that? I'm going to ask you later. But her just smiling when uh, Valda is questioning her and all this other stuff and it's like, oh, my wound. 
and like all this other stuff. She her just facial her smiling she is slays so good. that scene. Yeah. She looked like she was actually very weak in that moment oh, too. Yeah. Like she looked more pale. sickly. Like I mean, granted, yes, she was injured, blah blah blah. But I think she emphasized it a little bit more in that scene with her tone of voice, like just mm-hmm. the the face. Yeah, I agree, Paul. It was a really good acting on her part. All right, so we can transition away from the slimy white cloaks into one of my absolute favorite scenes. This is a scene where everyone who read the books was so excited for this scene to happen. And it doesn't happen in the same way, but I still think it was so good the way it was done, mostly because the song now is stuck in my head of sing a manetherin, oh, weep, weep, oh, manetherin. Parents, parents, the bass. Yeah, Yeah, dude, it's really good. (laughs) They're so good together singing. So the words of the song reach Moraine, essentially. And she's like, whoa, I know that. So she tells them that Manetherin is actually a real thing because Matt even has the quote, like, it's just a song. Who is Manetherin? Moraine tells them a story of that in the area where the two rivers is and in the mountains of the mist, there used to be a city called Manetherin, which in the old tongue means mountain home. Very long story short. This is one of the first cities to emerge after the world was broken by the dragon. So it became essentially almost a keystone for building the new world in the aftermath. Then after a period of relative peace, Trollocs came down again in what is known as the Trolloc War. So Trollocs descend on Manetherin, a small city, but a very strong army, which I just love this little fact that was a thorn in the side of the Dark One. Mm -hmm. I just like that a lot. So they fought the Trollocs for 10 whole days, thinking that they were going to get some aid, but they were betrayed by allies who promised them aid. After three days. Yeah. They, they said, we will help you if you survive three days. We will help mm-hmm. you. And they survived fucking 10. Yeah, so shout 12, out. 12, right? It was 12. Yeah, it got past. Yeah, yeah it got past that. Yeah. So there's two key points, I think, that happen here is that or actually even three. She mentions that the villagers even joined in on the battle. They left the city to go then fight on the front lines. And this was paralleled with people from the village of Evansfield fighting the Trollocs. They take down that Trolloc by themselves. They weren't all just going to hide. And the second thing, which is tied to that, the old blood. So this is kind of tying in that whole ancestry of you guys have this reputation that people from the two rivers are born of people from Manetherin and the people from Manetherin were fucking badasses that didn't take shit. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing will be that kind of the tragic love story at the end of it. And that queen Eldrine was so grief stricken when her husband who was King Amon, died that she basically blew up the whole fucking city and everything surrounding it, including the Trolloc army. Yes. Including the whole army. And then afterwards, the people found their way back to rework and live on the land because the old blood is strong and they don't fucking take shit. Mm-hmm. So that scene, that story feels very like expositiony and almost out of place, but that lays such a foundation for the characters themselves and the reason why they are the way they are. And there's actually a, an animated short that Amazon put out that's based on this story. Oh, that's hot. So I don't know if they're available yet, but I would go to Amazon to prime and, I haven't found it yet, but they did put out a small short animated on this stuff. So I would definitely, if you're interested in it, go watch that. Okay, a little bit of clarification. So Queen Aldrin was actually an enemy of Manetherin. No, she was the queen of the city, but the king fell and the army fell. So instead of letting the Trollocs come into the city, and she was so like upset that she pulled in the one power because she could channel... Yes. And she pulled in so much that she blew up everything. Yeah, hurricane of fire, which yeah. is yeah. hot to hear. Yeah. 
So Blood Amon, I'm sorry, the Blood of Amon, which they sing in the song, mm-hmm. King Amon was is their ancestor. Okay, I thought King Amon was leading the enemies. No, no. the enemy the was the Trollocs. Yeah, the, Trolloc wars, yeah. the yeah. humans. Okay. All the humans were good people. Okay, that's their blood. That's the old blood that they have been born from. Gotcha. The fact that Queen Aldrin used more of the one power than anyone else had is fucking nuts. I mean, she shriveled up and died, but the fact that she used it the most, I mean, that's amazing. And then the other thing that happens before we start moving to, to important stuff, I mean, more Whoa. important stuff, I was say. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa, I was going to say, this might have been so, like yeah, Kathleen's yeah. No, favorite scene. It's is totally just the, um, the scene with Perrin who is again by himself at this point, and he's looking at the injury on his leg, and we have the wolf scene, right? The wolf comes up and licks his leg. And I think you guys both kind of had a thought on this, at least when we were live. Perrin sneaks into the top three. (laughs) (laughs) This is interesting. An ever-changing top three. Earlier I said that Perrin had the best storyline, and how am I going to go back on that by not even putting (laughs) him in the top three? Give me what you think about that wolf scene, though. Because you both, I remember, (sighs) were saying things out loud when we were watching it. And my theory on the initial reaction, I thought it had something to do with him being a werewolf. Now, I don't know. I just kind of thought he's seen all these wolves. They're helping him out. Like he's having weird visions of his girlfriend being dead. And the wolf was fucking eating his her stomach out in that one vision. Like it was really crazy. So at first I thought a werewolf. But now I'm kind of thinking the show is more intricate than that. And now he's just on my watch list. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Yeah, I could see this going a few different ways. It's so annoying because they're like, oh, like, who do you think the Dragon Reborn is? I'm like, I don't know. All four of them have like their own moments. You're like, oh, it's them. I He's really the don't think it's a Gwen. At this point in time, I'm really not thinking it's a Gwen. But like, I see this, I see this parent scene and all right, the wolves are, are they bad? Are they good? Either way, they lick the wound that they're, they're friendly. That proves right there that they're friendly. The fact that they didn't just tear his leg off. But it was also a trollic poison wound. And I don't know. I was like, yo, they're licking that wound that was made by evil. Like, are they evil themselves? I am like- in the same boat as you, man. I'm like looking at this and I have no way to take but- it. The only thing that makes it interesting for me, though, is that. I'm just kind of thinking that he is potentially like, I don't think this is a good power to have at the end of the day. I don't think this is a good power. So whatever's going on with Perrin, you think is going to be a negative. You think it's more of a curse. I think it's more of a curse. Yeah. So I don't know. This is me just saying this is you saying that with your legs like that is convincing. (laughs) Yeah. You look look very very intelligent. (laughs) You look very intelligent. Like, it's, Even though with those my leg is slippers, just crossed. my leg is just crossed. My Ugg slippers on. I'm wearing joggers. I'm, I'm you comfy. look, you look so I'm confidently intelligent. Like a podcast. We have to take a picture. Point. But all right, in in the same breath, you're like, all right, like wolves, like their nature. The Aes Sedai used the power of nature. Like, dude, they could be good or bad. Like, I have no idea where this is going. No, all idea. I know is that parent is on my top three watch right. list. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Let me take us to the next major spot, then you take it away for us, because this is another transitional couple of scenes here. That night, after the parent goes back, they're all sleeping by the campfire. Of course, Land's going to be the one on watch. And then, I think, a is Gwaine it a Gwen that wakes, the, the, up, first the, the wakes up? She hears the whispers in the wind, it on the wind. And I'm like, she's the dragon reborn? Dude, it's like, <laughs> it's like they all have their moments. It's well, crazy. out on a Gwen being dragon reborn. But essentially, what's happening is the, fades fi- the Fade and the Trollocs finally caught up from the ferry scene and they uh, they start chasing the whole squad squad rallies moraine can't walk she's basically in dire straits now 
land throws Moraine up to uh, Perrin says, hold her. We got to fucking bounce right now. They eventually get to a border of an area where they're about to get caught by the Trolloc army. And then everybody just stops, including the horses who won't move forward. And we find out you, the camera pans. You see that the Trolloc army is just there's like an invisible barrier that the Trolloc army won't cross. Land leads them in, says the Trollocs will not follow us in here. And what we see is this. It's just like a, it's a perfect fantasy city, right? It's just epically big. It's over the top, just this beautifully broken down city that just seems to be abandoned. And our squad is walking through this and there seems to be no life at all. No plants. They say no bugs, no people, no noise. Land then leads them into this large abandoned building, sets them up and gives them this background that's really funny because he talks about how the city used to be called Arid Hall. And it was very powerful, but they were actually one of the cities, or it might actually even be the city that turned their back on Manetherin only to be devoured by its own evil. So they kind of shut their own walls off to everyone else in the world during the Trollic Wars to try to protect themselves. But in the end, by locking themselves in with everyone else, the paranoia and the evil inside the walls actually was the downfall of the city. But Matt also just has a great line here where he's like, well, first of all, that's the most words you've said today and maybe ever. <laughs> that was great. And second, like, why did you bring us here? That was like one of the moments where I was like, fuck, man, I really like your actor. And now you're not yes. going to be in season totally, two. And then to even further add to how likable his actor is, at least as Matt, what happens right after this is he hit Matt and Perrin have that like good scene where mm-hmm. Matt kind of is consoling him about his wife, gives him the gives him the knife that she made. And that, to me, was like a beautiful scene, especially when I watch it for the second time. I'm like, wow, they're really hammering home how how boys these boys are. You know, they're homies. It's just annoying because if they're homies, why doesn't Perrin? I guess he's ashamed. Why doesn't he tell them the truth about Layla and why he can't live with himself? They obviously it's believable. I know it's just frustrating, but what does it even do to admit to yourself and others? Yeah, to explain why you are like you are right now, like depressed. I think the big thing is admitting it, almost saying it out loud. Yeah, it's such a big step. I believe that it's hard. Yeah, but like, come on, like. They made a point earlier, Gwen earlier in the episode said, like, all oh, these trollocs came in, they killed Nine Nine They killed Nine they killed Lila, and Parent just like stood there, stone faced and like twitched real quick. It's like it's not something that has to be addressed right now, I think. I think the story itself will address it later in probably a more dire situation, let's be honest. Like when they really need him, it's gonna affect him more. But I think right now it's of yeah. course it can be he's not acting that He's no. not acting that out of the ordinary. Yeah, I I agree, but I'm like, dude, tell them they're your best friends. You're traveling, but I agree. I, There's always that thing. It's like you just got to be open with your friends at this point in time. This scene like, made me love Matt. I thought this he was point awesome. in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. my catchphrase. Apparently, this is a great Matt scene. I just love the line. It's also interesting that it's a good way to work Layla into the squad a little too, because she shows that she knows Matt too. Where she says <laughs> that you know I'm giving you this dagger. It's probably going to be used as a tool more than anything else. But if you get into trouble, like keep it sharp. And she knew that he would probably be the one to get everyone else in trouble because that's just how Matt is. And I think that's such a nice little way at the end to connect Matt and Perrin too, because that's like a nice callback to Layla and Matt's trying to be a nice guy. But uh, that's just so goddamn so. I think we like we did in the last episode, I think it's time for a speed run of the whole act three part. And then we just talk about our favorites because this is just you just got to watch it to know. Yeah, I mean, this shit happens pretty quickly. So everyone falls asleep and 
Matt wakes up to whispers. He's kind of hearing voices a little bit. So he, like every smart person in every horror movie or TV (laughs) show you've ever watched, wanders into the abandoned city alone and is investigating these voices a little bit. Then he sees a shadow of a person, follows the person like everyone else would, finds a dagger, cool dagger. Next thing you know, black mist covering the entire city, horse swallowed, turned to ashes, (laughs) team split up. We have Matt and Rand, Egwene and Perrin. So those two squads go their separate ways. Lan and Moraine are a little late on the uptake because Moraine is on the verge of death. Rand and Matt run, have to break down a a door. They have to break down a gate. They jump out of the city into the water. Egwene and Perrin try to get high. So they run up the walls, jump off the walls into the water. And Lan and Moraine get high with them. their feet (laughs) and Lana Moraine ride out of Shadar Lagos to I guess relative safety and the first sticking point for me here like something that just is so awesome I don't know why and maybe you guys tell me differently but is the second shit starting to go down Moraine wakes up and is in Lan's arms and she goes where are we Lan doesn't say anything. She goes, you killed us all. Like the, just the epicness of that, because they did argue about this earlier in the episode about not going to this city because it's so cursed. But it was mm-hmm. the only way that Lan could protect the squad from the Trolloc army. So honestly, I see it from both perspectives, but just like the weight behind Moraine waking up and three seconds later, knowing the gravity of the situation was just so fucking cool to me. And that was my favorite part. This whole Shadow Logo- Shadar Logith scene. I just like the idea of having some literal disease looking thing just spreading across the city and whatever is alive, it will just disintegrate. That is so terrifying to me. And the fact that at first I thought it was only like a secluded amount of like space, I guess you want to call it, that would be able to do that. Like a blob. Exactly. But when it's, um, I think it's It's Gwen and Perrin, like Gwen and Perrin are on top of the castle. Yeah. When they get high and you see it overrunning the entire city, that's when you're like, holy fucking shit like this isn't something that's meant to be escaped from like mm-hmm. this is gonna murder anything that's alive in the city dude talk about cutting it close they jumped literally right as the mold oh. the black mold was getting to their feet like are we talking broken legs thing. here <laughs> yeah so should have broken their legs in that fall of course like after they all get split up into their three different groups we have land and marine by themselves land just holding a sick marine and doesn't is pretty lost at what to do and at this point we have a blade put to his neck, and this is the closing statement of the final episode. You turn, and you see a fucking disheveled Nynaeve holding the blade right to his throat. It says, if you don't take me to them right now, I'll slit your throat. I mean, exactly Bang. what I said in the instant reaction is the fact that she was able to sneakily just get behind Lan and just hold a knife to his throat is just already proves that she is so sneaky. Mm-hmm. That, that was, gives her such a power increase in my mind. Like before that, okay, okay she was taking on a trolloc a little bit with her and Egwene. Sure, we'll give her credit, but <laughs> right here is the moment for me where it's like, damn, give this fucking girl some respect. I that's funny you say that because my first thought was the opposite. I was like, damn, Lan, you really dropped the ball here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're supposed to be like. You know, the uh, the warder, like, I understand my thought process was, you know, like he's looking yes. down at an unconscious Moraine right now. He's preoccupied. He's trying to save her. You know, he's probably not on as high alert. But to your point, Nynaeve is a badass. And we get into more of the stealthiness in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. But Nynaeve definitely has some like shadowy aspect yeah. to her, and which I, and I, I like was that. so happy when she appeared on screen because I was like, I knew it. 
wasn't dead. Yeah. You don't show me their death on screen. I don't trust. So I do want to go back a little bit just real quick. The fact that Matt woke up and to, you know, whispers, was this more of the dark whispers? <laughs> I knew you were going right? to bring that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. assume it has to be. And to continue on, when he does go around the corner, or like turn the, turn the street, he sees the shadow go into a room. I, and I was thinking, is that a physical being actually leading him the way? Or is that somebody giving him visions? Like, look, we already know the madness can make you see things that you don't think are there so like does madness have matt or it was their actual being in there leading him there and then the other thing i assume that whatever the black mold was got released as soon as he opens the chest and unsheaths the golden knife because it had an ember on it or it had a ruby on it that looked like you know the the ember eyes of the the evil one a little bit I might be stretching there, but I mean, as soon as, soon as he opens it, as soon as he opens it, all, all fucking shit hits the fan. So, yeah, I, I assume that the the evil that took everyone over in the first place uh, in that town was somehow sealed in there. And then this is not really this is not really a complaint, but like when the Trollocs, they wouldn't go in when they just surround the area. It's a, huge, smart it's a huge city. It is really big. Huge. OK. Yeah. Thank you. You remember when you saw Randy was looking out oh, like Assassin's true. Creed, like it was yeah. like a full on fucking you. Yeah. Even if they had a full army, like you, you couldn't he, surround. The he whole... couldn't even see the other side. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Land does ride out the same way they went in, but it's kind of a narrative choice. I will say, I guess gotcha. is like a, a nice way to say that. <laughs> but to build off of the idea of the whispers and everything, when Matt opens the box and picks up the dagger, the whispers stop. Uh, all of the the noise in the background stops so it might not have been unsheathing it might have been opening the chest it, i'm just saying i'm not speculating i'm just saying <laughs> that when chest he picks it up the the whispers do end you're listening to the geekscape network